on uh, the 20th of December 1974, that's almost exactly 35 years ago, Chris Carrier was a happy 10-year-old boy in Florida who had just finished school. On his way home, he was approached by a man who introduced himself as Chuck, a friend of his father, and invited him to get into his motorhome. They drove to a remote location. Chuck stopped the vehicle, lit a cigarette, and then pinned the little boy down, began burning him with the cigarette, and then began stabbing him with an ice pick. Finally, he threw the ten-year-old boy out of the van. He took out a gun and he shot him in the head. Amazingly, Chris survived. Six days later, actually the day after Christmas Day, he was found sitting on a rock dazed, permanently blinded in one eye, but in time he recovered. A suspect was identified, a man named uh, David McAllister. He had been sacked by Chris's father and he bore a grudge. But there was just not enough evidence to convict that man. Twenty years later, Chris, now a full-grown adult, received a call from the police. David McAllister was dying of cancer. He had uh, confessed to Chris's abduction. Did Chris, they say, want to see him? He did. He uh, visited the dying man, McAllister, who confessed his uh, heinous crime and uh, Chris Carrier forgave him. He held his hand and he told him to be at peace. Actually, there was more. Chris began then to visit David McAllister, even took his children to see him. A little time before he died, McAllister was interviewed by a reporter and he said Chris Carrier was the best friend he had ever had. That is a true story. How did it happen? Well, Chris Carrier is a Christian. Very early on, he resolved not to harbour bitterness. He said he can remember when McAllister first started burning him with cigarettes that he asked God to forgive him. And from that moment, he prayed for the chance to offer love and forgiveness to his attacker. And God answered his prayer. More than that though, Chris actually shared the gospel with this man, David McAllister, and McAllister became a Christian. 
what the uh, local paper described as a, a bitter, murderous scrap of humanity, the Callister was transformed by the love of his victim. That extraordinary story captures one of the, of the aspects of love that we have touched on more than once in uh, our, our looking at, at 1 Corinthians 13 and yet which Paul in verse 7 here hammers home again and again with great vehemence. Love is not limited. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, always, 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 or some versions translate it, all things, all things, all things. Love, um, says Paul, always protects. It's a fascinating little word that, which is rather difficult to translate. It's, it's related to a word for a roof. So, so some people have suggested suggested that it has this sense of, of, of um, covering over. One person even, uh, um, even suggested the, the um, interesting translation, love springs no leaks. More colloquially, in, in, in common language though, it tended to mean just putting up with things. Love puts up with people's failures. It puts up with persecutions. It puts up with the endless, repetitive demandingness of people. Always. Love always perseveres, says the Apostle, or endures. See, for, for, for most people, I think the New Testament commands to, to love are read, frankly, with um, little brackets after them. People have often told me about how, how they add those little brackets, not in so many words. In the brackets is, but there must be a limit. And in one sense, they are right. We are finite human beings. We simply cannot feed every person in the world. We cannot visit every, uh, every sick person. And we are not perfectly sinless either. So um, we will not perfectly, sinlessly love other people. That is just the harsh um, uh, reality of our finitude and our sinfulness that we must bear in mind. But the call, the call is not limited. Whatever is in your power, says the Apostle at one point, do good. Use it to do good. Chris Carrier, I think, demonstrates the enormously high and sometimes demanding calling of love. 
New Testament does not limit love. Indeed, actually, it explicitly says that it should be um, uh, unbounded. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend without expecting to get anything back. Jesus said in Luke 6.35 I tell you, hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who, who ill-treat you, he said in Matthew 5. Therefore, let us do good to all people, says the Apostle in, the, in Galatians chapter 6 or in Romans 12. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If you are a Christian here today, you have a duty to love every person who crosses your path as best you possibly can, without exception. Yes, God doesn't expect perfection. Yes, God doesn't expect, expect you to expend yourself beyond your limits as a, as a finite person. But he does not expect you to set artificial limits on your love. Let no debt remain outstanding amongst you, says Paul. <laughs> Romans 13. Accept the continuing debt of love. We've slowed up in our study of 1 Corinthians 13. Principally because I'm not sure that we really get what love is all about. And one of the things we don't get may be this one. But it's not as big as the next one I want to talk about. Because I think, actually... Most people get that first point. When, when, I, when, I, um, uh, when I look out across the church, when I, when I become aware of what is going on in the church here, I, I want to say to you, I, I, I think it's amazing. I think there is, there is astonishing things happening amongst us. There is quiet, sacrificial commitment to one another. That, that endures and endures and endures. There is endless kindness. There is forgiveness which sometimes you know, blows my mind when I witness it. I see people actually really taking seriously the Christian call to, to love. And I am I'm delighted about that. Those of you who have long memories in the church will know it has not always been like that. And we are not automatically secure from slipping into uh, bitterness or thoughtlessness or a thousand other corroders of love. Keep it up. I'm really impressed. But my bigger concern, actually, is that we don't quite get what love looks like. The example of Chris Carrier, that is absolutely extraordinary, amazing, but it actually is relatively simple. An old man 
was seeking forgiveness and Chris Carrier amazingly managed to find the resources to give it. And, but frankly, most of the situations we deal with are less extreme but more complex. How does a young woman deal with her unrepentant, abusive father? How does a Christian husband love a wife who has never put him first in her priorities? How does a Christian love his friend who is um, profoundly misguided and just won't see? And quite a number of times over the, the, the last few years I've had people come to me and protest that they have not been loved or sometimes someone else protests on their behalf. And as we, as we unpack that, in case after case, I see actually that they don't seem to have really got it. Yes, of course, nobody is loved perfectly and there are often uh, apologies that need to be said in that. But I think we actually have a rather naive view of love. That's what I want to address for a few minutes. Yeah, love is not limited. Okay, it is not limited. It is unlimited. But it is not naive. Now, I come to that as a result of wrestling over the, uh, these um, words in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7. Particularly the words, it always trusts, always hopes. I mean, you could, you, you could, it's shocking enough that love always protects. Does that mean that a Christian should hide a murderer from the police? Or that he always perseveres? Or always hopes? Is there surely not a moment when a wife must walk away from her repeatedly adulterous husband? But the most shocking one is that it always trusts. What parent would ever give their child the advice that Christian love always trusts? Actually, I don't believe this verse is naive at all. And as I wrestled with this, this verse, I, I decided actually I, I'm not sure it means quite what it appears to mean in the NIV at all. For a start, the Bible is far too full of warnings against trusting in human beings. Psalm 146 verse 3 Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. The Bible doesn't call us to always trust human beings. Then I notice that actually the word translated trust in verse 7 is the same word as that comes up in verse 13 um, at the end of chapter 13 and there it's translated faith. More than that, I noticed actually that the word hope turns up straight after trusting in verse 7 and straight after faith in verse 
13. And uh, in verse 13, it's absolutely clear what it means. It is faith in God. It is, uh, it is hope in God. And interestingly elsewhere, Paul associates precisely that hope in God with perseverance. As hope in verse 7 is associated with perseverance. So I think actually we're in danger of reading that verse very wrong. To make it make it plainer what I'm uh, what I'm trying to say. Um, let let me let me retranslate it or paraphrase it. Love always protects. Love always exercises faith. Love always hopes in God. So love always perseveres. The steadfastness of Christian love is an overflow of faith and hope in God. I want to, I want to expand on that a little bit more um, uh, later on. But I want to come back to what I've, uh, what I've said and what is on the screen there. Love is not naive. We must not read Christian calls to love as, as a sort of naive call to be kind to everybody and it will all be okay. The more one examines it, the more one thinks about, uh, about what the Christian call to love is, the more we see that it is far from naive, it is shrewd, it is wise, it is bold, it is courageous. It absolutely is patient and kind and not self-seeking and not easily angered as it's said in, uh, in verse 4. Patience may wait to challenge someone. But lovelessness never challenges someone. Christians must never seek revenge. They must never be ruled by anger. But seeking the good of a person may require us to respond with indignation. May require us to be courageous in confronting them. I just think that in the midst of magnificent commitment to love people, we perhaps understandably tend to have a, a syrupy, rather naive commitment to love, which does not fit with Scripture. Let me, let me illustrate this to you with a story from... Um, the Gospels, a story about Jesus, which I think is very important to help us to understand that this, this whole call in 1 Corinthians 13 is not at all naive 
syrupy, insipid. It's in Mark chapter 10, and you might want to turn it up just to look at it, it's on page 1014. It's the story of the rich young ruler. This rich young man comes to Jesus and asks him how he may inherit uh, eternal life. And in in verse 21 of uh, chapter 10, Mark explicitly says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Okay? Jesus loved him. Jesus is sinless. Okay? So we're going to see an example of perfect love being worked out here. Mark wants us to know that this is perfect love. Jesus, of course, knows exactly what is wrong in this man's heart. And for us, as we try to love people, um, uh, such insights may come much slower, they may be much less accurate, and we need to be cautious. We need to be much more cautious than Jesus, I'm sure, much more hesitant to speak. But in the end, love must speak as Jesus speaks. And Jesus confronts this man head on with the key weakness that he sees. He's done lots and lots of good things. That's great. But Jesus sees a weakness. He loves money. Jesus looked at him and loved, loved him. Verse 21, One thing you lack, he said, Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. A love which which pursues someone's genuine good is always looking to, to intrude truth into the life of that person in such a way that they are able to say, see their need and to change. Love is not naive. Love looks deeply. Love looks closely. Love prays over a person. Love, love pours over the scriptures to try to understand how we should live, how the human heart works, what God is like. And then love tries to apply what we have seen to that person's life courageously wisely. We must not be ultimately terrified of the person's response. We cannot control that. Indeed, we must not try because to love a person is to recognise their independent dignity, their personal responsibility for their actions before God. We cannot control how they will respond. This man didn't respond well. Verse 22, At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. That is still love. Jesus could have patted him on the back, congratulated him for the undoubted good things in his life, they're listed, 
and never mention the difficult, uncomfortable, potentially relationship-breaking topic. But he loved him. And he knew he had to communicate the truth to that man. So don't be naive about love. He's not actually doing someone a favour to constantly brush their failures under the carpet and never ever to confront them with them. Think of the adult daughter of a man who was absolutely determined to control her. He always had, he was prone to a terrifying rage if she crossed him. I think of her standing in front of her father and telling him she loved him, but she would not return home for at least six months if he lost his temper with her. If he could not interact with her as a responsible adult, then suddenly he could not see her. She was not giving up on that relationship. She was fighting with all her might for her father's good. Did not have any right to lose his temper with an adult daughter. Think of a member of a, a church who caused havoc in quiet, manipulative ways. Finally, after much prayer and heart searching, uh, his pastor sat down with him and he said, Do you know, God actually really loves you. And I'm absolutely convinced that if you knew that deep in your heart, you would behave very differently from how you are. But in the end, that's not the pastor's responsibility. Think of a husband constantly belittled by his wife. After much prayer and hard work, he, he managed to be able to say to her calmly, you know, you're, you're the biggest victim of your belittling of me. You refuse the affection that I would love to give you. You cut yourself off from God by your behaviour towards me. Don't you want to change? Think of the wife who privately remonstrated with her husband again and again about the way that he just was lewd in public places and made nasty remarks about women, other women. And eventually, after much prayer and thought, she came to a moment, one of those public occasions, where she turned to the other men he was talking to and she said, 
Some of you got daughters. Surely you don't want to laugh at my husband about the way he's speaking. She knew it was touch and go whether he might even whether he'd even come home that night. But she could not, in her love for her husband, allow him just just to continue behave in that way. As the years go by and uh, I see more and more and more situations, I realise more and more and more how important it is not to be naive. Love must be gentle, kind, patient, absolutely not seeking itself, slow to anger. But love rejoices in the truth. And it cannot tolerate ultimately. Truth and integrity being trampled underfoot. It bears all things, it always perseveres for the good of the other person. Do not be naive. And then back to 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7 again. What we'd already begun to establish. <coughs> Love is the overflow of faith and hope. You see, you will only be empowered and able to love people in that, that, that committed sacrificial, truth-rejoicing way if our primary relationship is with the risen Lord Jesus. If our primary faith is not that somehow we can sort this relationship out, that may or may not happen. but that God will be pleased as we with integrity and patience seek to do so. If our primary hope is not that it will be alright tomorrow, but that it will be alright in eternity. Love always practices faith. Love always hopes in God. It is that love empowered explicitly by Christian faith that completely turns the, 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 the uh, um, Roman world of the first couple of centuries on its head. There was um, a uh, Roman satirist called Lucian of Samosata who mocked the early Christians for their extraordinary love for a man named Proteus Peregrinus. Let me tell you 
I'll read to you what he wrote in 165 AD. The Christians left no stone unturned in their endeavour to procure Proteus's release when he got imprisoned. When this proved impossible, they looked after his wants in all other matters with untiring solicitude and devotion. From earliest dawn, old women and orphan children might be seen waiting about the prison doors, whilst the officers of the church, by bribing the jailers, were able to spend the night inside with him. Meals were brought in and they went through their sacred formulas. formulas. Then he goes on like this. The poor wretches have convinced themselves, first and foremost, that they're going to be immortal and live for all time. In consequence of which they despise death and even willingly give themselves into custody. This mocking, haughty man saw what motivated that self-sacrificial love. And it is that which already is transforming people here and will transform us more and more as we put our faith in Christ. It is the overflow of faith and hope in God. I said before, I love what God is doing amongst us. I love the fact that people are prepared to love without limit, best they can. I want to call you not to be naive in that love, but to seek the Lord sincerely and deeply and courageously about what you can do for the best good of these people that you love. Not just to have a nicer, warmer, fuzzy feeling of relationship. But they're good. And I want to tell you that it'll only really happen when it is more precious to you to hear, well done, good and faithful servant and to hear any other praise. That sort of love is radically different from what the world exercises. And let's be clear, they will say to us, poor wretches. But God will say to us, you are my child. 